what judgments am I making, then what solutions have I jumped to? Four and eight, this happens in a millisecond, like we do assumption, judgment, solution straight away, and then we exert that into the space. If I had to stop and say, are those assumptions true? Are they fair? Do I have all the information around the judgments and the solutions that I'm making? Welcome to The Nine Design, a podcast where we're seeking to understand how God has uniquely designed us and explore the ways in which we live that out. I'm Seth, a creative, and I'm from Adelaide. And I'm Serena, a coach, and I live in Melbourne, and we're excited to have you join us for The Nine Design. And in this episode, we're going to kick off the body centered with a panel of eights. And we're going to introduce you to this great lineup we have. But before we do that, Serena, would you catch us up on where we are so far? What is the body center and how do type eights fit into it? Yeah, there are three different intelligence centers. We primarily process through either our head, heart and body. And each personality will lead with one of these more than the others. And if you want to get more into this, check out season one, episode two for a more in-depth description of the intelligence centers. Eights tend towards the body center more than the others. So in particular, more than type nine or one, type eights trust their bodies and they will act first, think later, uh, emotions come later. And the gift and strength of the type eight is found in the name that they're sometimes known by, which is called the protector. Type eights will protect and advocate on behalf of the innocent and the vulnerable. They learned from a young age that it's not okay to be vulnerable or to trust anyone. Therefore, they'll deny, fight against, or repress any weakness within themselves. This means they are subconsciously drawn to protect the innocence they see in others and are gifted at giving strength to those that are vulnerable. One of the superpowers is detecting weakness and inconsistencies in others, sometimes testing this to see if they are deserving of their trust. They often feel more connected to and respect for someone who can meet their challenge head on. Love to wrestle through differences of opinions and challenging conversations. They think in action, I am what I do, and use their body to support their need to be strong, trusting it above their emotions. Like all body center types, eight struggle with anger and find it an easily accessible emotion, which is often close to the surface. They are high capacity and can get more things done in a day than most people can do in a week. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. It's such a good reminder of how God's designed eights and, again, how much we appreciate them. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about their virtues and vices? Uh, the virtue and work for the type eight is to move away from lust, the consumption and intensity that comes so naturally for them, and move towards embracing the innocence that's within. Over the last couple of seasons, we've been talking about these two selves, the old self or the false self and the new self or the true self. And we use this term original design, which is kind of linking back to how we've all been designed been wired a certain way, our personalities reflect certain gifts and strengths, and together we all reflect what true humanity looks like, each reflecting different parts, which is beautiful, and that's how our original design is. But all of us know when we look at the world, we are not reflecting our original design. We tend to lean into this false self, this, this part of us where it's full of coping mechanisms and lies that we're believing. And so as we're looking at the different types over this season, let's be looking at the, the way that we were meant to be. 
the way that types eights today, types nines and types ones were designed. And this is particularly helpful when we're trying to work alongside each other, connect with each other, and someone does something that is so foreign to you. You're like, what are they doing? Super offensive, whatever it might be. Like, what are they thinking? In these moments, you can either recognize you are listening out of your old self or they are acting out of their old selves. And this gives us that what the Enneagram is beautiful for, the ability to be empathetic, to step into their shoes and think, maybe I'm hearing it different. Maybe they're uh, responding in a way that they're not actually designed to respond in. And this is a, a great thing for us as we're connecting with each other. So as we're talking about the different types over this season and the seasons to come, let's keep this in mind. We'll keep bringing up this idea of false self, true self. Now, for for Serena and I, we believe that the only way we can actually find our new self our true self isn't by just looking inward and reading self-help books, even though they're good and they might be helpful, but we need to know who made us. And so this is where the original design concept comes in. We turn to our maker and we see how we can reflect him. Uh, and the world seems to work a lot better when that happens. So let's introduce the panel tonight because I, I actually don't know all of you. Hi, my name is Dash. I live in Melbourne in the South Bank with my husband and my miniature Dachshund called Pedunkel. I am an academic at a university um, and yeah, that's me. Yeah, hi, my name is Jacques. Um, I am a South African-born Kiwi-raised Aussie. I live in Brisbane uh, with my wife, Kez, um, and we both serve with a mission organisation uh, in campus ministry. Hey friends, my name's Anton. I'm living in uh, Queensland on the Gold Coast, married to my wife Esther, got three boys from one to eight years old, and I'm a pastor and a chaplain in a school during the week. Thanks for sharing that little snippet of yourselves, and I'm sure we're going to get to know you a little bit better as this episode unfolds. But this season, we want to talk through the idea of how do I use the Enneagram to grow beyond some of my default behaviours? How do I live intentionally and not on autopilot? And with that in mind, we'd love you guys to share a time with us when you were able to overcome your default behavior of exerting power and intensity. Uh, and you could experience a little bit of innocence again. I couldn't think of any specific story, but it made me think about the context mm. of like of leading teams, you know. Um, I've been involved in leading lots of different teams, different sizes and um I think for me, it's been a learn uh, to, you know, restrain mm. that. It's like meekness, strength restrained, you know, mm. like to, to embody that value a bit more because, you know, as a type eight, it's quick to think, quick to speak. And, um, and when you're leading a team, if, you, if, if that is all you do, you, you take the oxygen out of the room, you know, the, the ability for people who are slower processes and things like that to, to think and, and speak up. So that, that has been something that I have had to learn over time. I'm sure there's been many occasions where I've probably just spoken up and powered through and, and that sort of thing, but I'm acutely aware of it now and it's something that I've had to, um, it's like a skill really that I've had mm. to uh, hone in on and sort of not just, I get this sort of a saying, uh, bite your tongue until it bleeds, you know. So <laughs> I've had to learn to do that. Um, and, yeah, so that's where I can see that at work in the context of a team a lot, yeah. Yeah. 
-hmm. At the start of the year, I was at a leadership retreat and we had to write a leadership promise. And my promise was to practice the art of sila, um, a holy pause, and to really try and practice not having a reaction or re to being really reactive. Um, and as the year has been progressing, I realized that I needed a little bit more help to kind of practice the holy pause because I found I was actually just holding my breath, which is probably <laughs> not what the holy pause was about. Um, and so I, I realized I needed th prompting questions in the moment to help me stop. Mm. And so my prompting questions are, what assumptions do I have right now? What judgments am I making based on those assumptions? And then what solutions have I jumped to? And four and eight, this happens in a millisecond. Like we do mm. assumption, judgment, solution straight wow. away. And then we exert that into the space. Mm. That's so good. And I think for myself, I had to stop and say, actually, are those assumptions true? Are they fair? Do I have all the information around the judgments and mm. the solutions that I'm making. So that has really um, slowed me down. And I mm. think for me, that is the practice of innocence because I'm taking, I'm stripping that all away to nothing so that I can just be in the space and then see what emerges from that. Um, mm. So that's probably been my biggest thing. I get it maybe 50% of the time. <laughs> the other 50% of the time, that is totally not evident. <laughs> Okay. Have you? Sorry, I'm going to ask a follow-up question. Have you have you noticed a difference this year? You said you've been trying to practice it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I've mm -hmm. noticed it quite a bit at work. Um, I have quite a lot of complex, challenging projects that are in play, and people who have competing needs and interests. And sometimes I find myself. Um, reacting to an email or to a comment in a meeting. And one of the things I've had to tune in because it happens so fast as an eight is what is the body reaction to slow myself down. So I'd go, okay, I'm feeling a ball of energy in my gut. There is blood rushing to my head. Okay, you're reacting. You're reacting, stop. Mm -hmm. And so then I'd stop and go through my questions. Slow it down, slow it down. And um, it has just made... Things are much more peaceful, probably for my team and for my stakeholders. But also for me internally, I'm not raging as much. And I think that's been like a really nice space to be in. That's cool. Thanks for that. That's awesome. And I think that there's there's such an element of of intentionality in that story, Dash. Like you, you are actually consciously stopping. You are doing something in that pause. You are, you know, you are kind of slowing down those thoughts. You are you are doing actions toward that, which would must be really difficult because, as you said, your mind just races. You go there automatically. So I'm really glad you slowed that down for our listeners even and walked us through that. But that just shows a great intention to that practice of innocence, you know, that, that isn't naturally, but it, it's there and you want to, you're working towards that, you're moving towards that. So, yeah, I appreciate that. For me that I kind of thought of was also in a bit of a leadership capacity. Um, so uh, someone, I was having some sort of conflict uh, with someone on my team um, and like, yeah, we're really good friends. We, we, we get along really well. We've done a lot of ministry together, but in this particular instance, 
um, we just were completely kind of missing each other the whole time, if you will. And often when I've had that, either with someone in leadership over me or when I'm leading over someone else, um, I feel like, not all the time, but I feel like I have a pretty good um, grasp or maybe some perceptions of, of why that might be happening. They might be perceiving something that I'm saying or doing in a certain way or I might be coming across a certain way. Um, but in this particular instance, it was just really... Um, yeah, really like difficult. We just weren't progressing through no matter how much we were trying to converse through it and trying to resolve. Mm. And so actually we kind of left where we were at for like uh, our meeting one week and then the next meeting we were catching up again. Um, and just with that heart to similar to kind of what Dash was sharing of just stripping away any like assumptions that I might be having or, mm. you know, trying to look at like perceived motives or anything like that, just trying to move to a space of vulnerability and saying like, actually this is kind of new space for me it's not very comfortable but like I have absolutely no idea why this is happening um and it was just such a beautiful moment Mm. of me getting to share uh you know some of my maybe bents or some of my brokenness and how that might come out in different ways in leadership um and then for them to kind of hear about I guess some of that journey uh in how they might respond to to conflict or certain things um and so just in that moment of vulnerability and actually saying like unusually or in a, in a way that I'm not really that used to uh, having no idea how to progress through this together actually just brought like a really awesome unity. Um, and we got to a place where we kind of, yeah, we kind of understood that, that missing each other, if you will. Um, and in, in classic mm. eight way, I think that conflict and, and sort of going through that together just really brought us closer together um, in a in a working capacity. So that was really, yeah, uncomfortable, but really, really special. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. You mentioned kind of the admitting or acknowledging you didn't know how to move ahead or you couldn't control the situation. Mm. Was that the vulnerability of you actually admitting or saying, like, I need help, I don't know how to do this? Was that the uncomfortableness that you mentioned or was it something else going on there? Yeah, I think so. But I think even beyond just you know, whatever uncomfortability I was feeling, them hearing that from me in a space where they might not often hear that, I think just really allowed them to really open up about, um, mm. yeah, maybe things that they they hadn't been sharing or didn't feel comfortable to share. Um, but, yeah, so it's it personal, but it was also how that would then, I guess, allowed them to view the situation, just gave space um, for them to feel really um, heard and, like, they could, they could meet me in that vulnerability. Yeah. Mm. Sensing in these moments where... It's you, you're having to push into vulnerability or push into spaces that aren't comfortable and that aren't that default space. How does it feel? I mean, other than uncomfortable, can anyone offer up just mm. drop a layer and um, unpack mm. that a little bit? And maybe feel like in your body, like what, what physically, what does it feel like as mm. well as emotionally? I think for me, one of the, the, uh, battles maybe of the eight is the fact that we are very forward momentum people mm. and we are very action oriented and so I think in the space where you are trying not to work from your default position you are trying to uh, harness your body back and it, honestly when that happens to me I I feel like I'm being physically restrained. Mm. I have to either physically restrain myself or kind of bring in imagery to physically restrain myself. And it can be really suffocating, to Mm. be honest. Like I feel like I'm trapped. Mm. And so 
there's such an urgency. I feel like it's such an urgency to get things out and say, I know the answer, just listen to me and you'll be all fine. Mm. Um, to just yeah. tell people and get that going. Mm. And sometimes I feel like the um, slower pace is infuriating, mm. but it can be a good space. And I now know for myself I need particular types around me to help mm. me. And mm. my husband is a type five. Mm. That's a beautiful number to have alongside an eight. And <laughs> some of my um, team members are actually social nines and mm. they are very good at kind of navigating some of that space as well. And so um, I'm, I deliberately surround myself with those types. Mm. Hmm. But yeah, thanks for going there, Dash. That, that's that's really good because, yeah, you can hear, and I know our listeners could probably hear that frustration. Like I could hear it and, oh, it's just you want to, yeah, it's like, hurry up and let me speak. Like I can hear that. So yeah, that was, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That was really helpful. I think for me, it's in, it depends on the context. Like if I am heading, to, if I know I'm going in to work with a team, and it's in my mind that hey, I need to be, I need to be ready to be restrained and to, you know, leave the airspace open and and help other people uh, to have a voice and have a go. Then that's okay. But it's when it happens and I'm not ready for it, then that's when I, I could connect with what Dash was saying. It's like I, I can feel the energy inside me. I, I feel like. I've got to say, Anton, you need to be calm. You need to be calm. You know, like it catches me <laughs> off guard. I can feel this rising up in front of me and almost like a quiver inside of me to um, to have that sort of restraint and and not not let that power come out and and almost you know suffocate the moment or or mm. cause uh, a bigger conflict. But um, so yeah, I think it depends on the context. Like if I know I'm heading in somewhere, I'm good. If I'm getting caught off guard with that sort of thing, mm, then good. it's like, yeah, I can mm. feel that. Mm. How would you explain the difference of being vulnerable and actually being like the weakness that that you can feel in there? Um, I think for me, I almost see one as an opportunity to sort of explore the other, if you will. So like naturally, uh, you know, weakness is something that we want to hide. We want to try and maintain that. We want to try and not come across that way, um, or at least I do. But what I see vulnerability as is actually being open about that weakness, that brokenness, um, whether it's perceived or whether it's really there. I find that really special because it gives other people the freedom to do the same, mm. particularly coming from a type where maybe that's something that they're not used to. Um, it almost gives so mm. much more uh, freedom or license to do that as well. Is that hard for you, Jacques? Like, is that a really hard place to go to or is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But similar to what Anton was sharing before, mm. when I know that I'm going into a a space where I'm going to do that, that's like mm. totally cool. But when, mm. when I'm caught really off guard and you feel a little bit out of control, <laughs> um, then, then naturally I think that's that's much more difficult, you know, it's mm. the spaces where we're not expecting, you know, a conversation sure. maybe to go that way um, yeah. where I think it's it's more difficult, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, the biggest space for growth though, right, is like <clears throat> when we're challenged like that to actually – come back and apologize or to, you know, stop and reflect. You know, I've found that those moments have been, you know, big areas of growth for me to actually have the humility to stop and, and reflect on a conversation or a, something that didn't go well and go, yeah, nah, that was that was probably not great. 
right. and I need to I need to so, like circle back around and I need to sort of sort of confront that you know mm. I think that's the healthy area of growth for for me anyway is like I've got to push into that more and not just leave things like if something's happened um, and and there's been some sort of difficulty or tension but to actually reflect and own your peace and then to go back you know I think that's probably a bit of vulnerability for for me as a, as a type 8 to actually acknowledge where I was wrong and yeah. or where I could have done something better and actually have that conversation with somebody mm. Um, mm. that's that's, that's yeah I reckon that's been vulnerable uh, for me and yeah totally agree with what the guys have said but I think I have another interpretation maybe of vulnerability mm. and weakness and I don't know if this is because of the way I've been trained um, mm. in public health and so um, I see I conceptualize vulnerability as those who I guess are impacted by unfair social structures or systems or unavoidable individual circumstances like they might have a health condition mm. whereas in weakness in my mind is a little bit more related to uh, inability or incompetence and so you know I if I think about my own weaknesses and and often that comes from the last perspective online shopping eating too much food like that kind of stuff like that for me that's a weakness I also have health conditions which make me quite vulnerable. You know, I've mm. been a migrant in this country that made me vulnerable, but then I also have a lot of things that give me a lot of privilege and strength. And so it's kind of balancing all of those types of things. But as an eight, for me at least, my heart breaks for the vulnerable, but I tend to be frustrated mm. by the weak. And so it's actually an interesting dynamic that I kind of battle with. It's almost like the deserving and undeserving yeah. of where I will give my power is to the vulnerable, yeah. but to the weak, I will potentially squish you more. Right. Being very honest. No, that's, all, that's a really good <laughs> distinction you've got there. someone say another type eight who was on our podcast last year Jim Zartman he talked about that if he's in a room with someone who displaying weak qualities more than say vulnerable he feels like he can get sort of pulled into their weakness but not pulled into it where he's subject to it but where he has to then kind of control it or uh, take authority over it uh, so it's kind of a, a place where he's like, oh, I don't want to have to almost deal with your weakness, um, but I'm going to have to if I'm in this room with you. So does that speak to you guys? I think I kind of resonate with that. What I'm almost mm. hearing is like if 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 I observe something and, uh, you know, I perceive it to be a weakness or, or different uh, or maybe even unhelpful given the context, then there's almost a heart to want to just fix that so we can move on. Uh, yes, and obviously, yeah. you know, that can be really ugly and broken. Mm. But, yeah, I, I really resonate with that. So I'm not sure if that's what, yeah. what Jim was uh, was meaning. But, yeah, totally. Yep, definitely resonate, resonates <laughs> with me what Dara was saying. Like <laughs> that weakness, seeing somebody that 
has the ability to act but doesn't you know mm. like like that's that's what i would say is weak. like you have the ability to do something mm. but you're choosing not to whereas somebody who's vulnerable it's like they don't have the option or the opportunity to um and i would be more inclined to want to help somebody like that but where i see somebody who has you know the ability and the skill and should know better mm. that that sort of gets under my skin a little bit where yeah. i see someone who's like you actually should know better and you should be able to do something mm, that mm. definitely grinds my gears. And, um, yeah, yeah that's something I, I definitely need to watch, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, uh, you know, the, the older brother, you know, yeah. in the, in the prodigal, the prodigal, the prodigal, you know, it's like, I'm down with the prodigal man. I'm with him <laughs> all the way, but yeah. it's like that older brother. It's like, mm. <laughs> yeah. <Come on>, <laughs> most of the aides that I know are, have some of the best boundaries. Like they know mm. when to say no, like, no, that's, well, you've crossed the line or whatever. Mm. And, and that can come across as like, really like, wow, that's unloving or whatever. But as someone watching, it's usually been around the ones who are just like you're saying, kind of like sucking up all the energy and like should know better and like that, they, they mm. strong boundary. Mm. But then those same people, when they're like working with people who are living with a disability, they're actually super generous and and you have so much time and empathy and, and love and care. And, and I, I love that because like what you're saying highlights is this, there is this line yeah. and it's a very clear boundary. Yeah. 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 It's not a little bit one way or the other. It's like full berries both ways. Yeah. Looking at the distinction between vulnerability and weakness, each of you have said that there's a lot more time and space for those who are vulnerable as opposed to those who are weak. Can you explain how it feels to give power to those who are vulnerable? I think for me, it almost meets like a need for like, it's like justice, like, you know, it's like a justice thing. Like I, I feel it feeds that sort of part of my nature and character where I feel like that's just and that's right. And so it feels good, you know, like I feel empowered when I'm able to empower others who we would consider vulnerable, you know it's satisfying for me to be able to do that. And it definitely picks me up and I enjoy that space, you know, when I can see that happen, that's for sure. I totally agree with it. I get a lot of energy from this space. Um, I kind of almost feel like it's like a dopamine or adrenaline rush. Mm. But I would say I can be too liberal in giving Mm. power to people and doing that for people. And I think if I'm coming from a really reactive place it does cost me if I give Mm. power too much uh you know trying to help too many people do too many things and end up overextending Mm. myself and then I can actually become quite resentful Mm. and so you know even that intentionality in that space is really important for me to kind of be like why are you doing this is this are these people or is this something that you are meant to be rescuing is there someone else you know is it your space Mm. actually and it but it is a real joy like i honestly Mm. think this is what i live for is to give power to the vulnerable but i think we can abuse that and be abused by it yeah jumping off that i am similar to what anton said i almost feel like it meets a deep sort of core value and need in a way that few other things can Um, and so naturally that's you know all of those good things but then when, to what Dash was saying as well, when, when I, because I, I really connect with that, when I feel like I've been too liberal or I've been investing that in the wrong or, or less helpful places, there's almost that sense of um, like betrayal and very much like a, a once bitten, twice shy, like it's going to take 
twice as much for me to go back there yeah. um, than, you know, than maybe normal. But yeah, very, very strong, mm-hmm. I guess, reactions or responses both ways. Yeah. This is a, a really strong point for most people in the body center, but particularly for eights, the, the reaction of anger. So like if someone does do something, you know, like you, you mentioned the word betrayed and you're like, whoa, what? Like mm. it, it fires up this anger and that's a very powerful emotion. Could you describe what it looks like for you to experience emotions that aren't as easily triggered or as quick as anger? What what other emotions sort of bubbled up through this? I'm pretty detached from my emotions. <laughs> I think that's how I operate, fairly detached from my emotions. <laughs> In um, Maybe it's healthy, maybe it's unhealthy, but that's that's how it is. And yep. But when I do feel something, I would say I feel it really deeply, you know, and and for me, I'm I'm a real internal processor when it comes to emotion. You know, like I really want, like I'll think through it and dwell on whatever that thing is. Um, and you know, I'm not one to quickly share emotion with other people though. Like I'm pretty guarded when it comes to sharing how I would be feeling about something with someone. Like you have to be in my inner circle. You know mm. what I mean? I think yeah. it's that's just trust the. the yeah, it's that trust yeah. thing. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would mm-hmm. say when I feel other emotions and I really do connect with them, I would I connect with them deeply. But I'm fairly detached most of the time, you know, so it's not very often that I'll be led, you know, mm-hmm. by emotion. So when you say detached, Anton, are you meaning you're detached mm-hmm. from the instinctual, like, gut response, like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. angry and just jump in there, or detached from you can't actually... You know, there's a feeling there, and you're like, ah, I don't know what I'm feeling. Like, what? Yeah, I'd say, like, through the context of like, um, detached from allowing my emotions to lead me. I like, they're like good windows. I can see something, you know, when emotion comes up, but it's a, it's a terrible leader sort of thing, you know. So I won't let my emotions lead, although I'm, in, you know, I'm spontaneous yeah. and like, you know, I just make decisions and bang, bang, bang. But when it comes to feeling something, yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit like less detached. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna I'm not gonna move from this place because I'm feeling this thing. Mm-hmm. I really want to process it, understand it. You know, yeah. I'll uh, I'll dwell on it. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Mm. Yeah, it's not just the drop of the drop of the hat move mm-hmm. with that emotion. It's kind of like mm. pausing, reflecting. Mm, on yeah, it. definitely. Yeah. Although, like the anger and the passion thing, that's kind of like when that comes <laughs> up, we we do our thing with that. Mm. But, a bit different, you know. Um, <laughs> But when other emotions come up, then yeah. the, the lesser important ones. No. Yeah, those other ones that people have. Being a type three, I'm, I have no idea if that's you know actually true. Yeah, it's so interesting listening to you, Anton, because I don't actually resonate with being an angry person, right? And then I was like listening to you, and I was like, is that because I'm not in touch with my emotion of anger? But I just don't feel like an angry person. Yes, it's there. And it will happen, but for the most part, I feel very joyful and I get a lot of joy from life. Mm. I am very easily excited. It's something that my team actually and my family potentially manipulates with me to kind of make me excited and see a response from that can be really happy. And I think one of the things, my favourite things to do is to be around people I love and to be in this space of happiness because it comes from my belly. Like when I laugh, it is like mm. a full-on belly laugh and it's just, yeah, I really love it. <laughs> I think one of the things though is I'm not that great with sadness 
or with some of the kind of um, more kind of, yeah, sad and feeling upset about things, I will feel it, but probably fleetingly. And I'd probably reframe it in terms of, oh, there's a sense of loss there. Okay, what should we do about that? Like it's, mm -hmm. I move very quickly from those spaces of sadness to action to, action mm -hmm. to move away from it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Does that mean, sorry to jump in, yeah. does that mean, and this is for all of you, not just you, Dash, but tears and crying, is this something that you experience semi-regularly or you like uh was this time last year I remember crying or like how is that for you guys if I think back to my 20s when I was probably quite deep in I can't remember what you called it your yeah. old self or your false self, false self in that mm. there was mm. a lot of crying but they were rarely because I was sad but more because I was angry right. or frustrated I would cry from frustration mm. and feelings of betrayal or feelings of lack of respect wow. rather than coming from a place yeah. of sadness. Don't cry as much these mm. days. So. Mm. It's funny because my son just said to me the other day, he said, Dad, I've never seen you cry. Do you cry? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I am human. I do cry. <laughs> but um, I, I cry. I cry when I'm in worship, you know, or like if I see something – like like story is powerful like and speaks to me you know narrative and so like if i see something and you know connect with some sort of narrative that's like oh that really moves me yes. i cry but man i've got a cry that's like it just it just sneaks out you know what i mean doesn't pour out it's just a, a couple of brave tears will sneak out of my <laughs> eyes um and then i'll just you know <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I connect with that. Um, I have a bit of a joke with a lot of my close mates and my wife as well um, that, yeah, there's not a lot of crying, but on a scale of sort of, you know, relative to where everyone else is at, me having that deep sense of like, you know, joy or sadness or whatever is almost the equivalent of someone else maybe bawling their eyes out. And they all kind of get that and that's that's very helpful. So, <laughs> Like my wife is a crier. Like she loves to cry. She just cries freely and... Um, but I don't cry a lot, so <laughs> maybe for some awkward uh, moments, you know. <laughs> I have a workmate and former boss uh, that we sort of joke that our journey is to, like, experience more emotions that aren't anger. He doesn't want to jump on the Enneagram. I'm working on him. But, yeah, it would be very helpful because I'm pretty sure he's an eight. But what I have found helpful uh, is, yeah, what, what Anton said, when you experience something, you tend to experience it very deeply. But I have also tried to almost sift through anger and frustration sometimes to, uh, I guess, see what's the emotion or the thing behind that. And so almost through that lens of anger is how I might experience, you know, some of the other maybe not as positive emotions. Dash, I just wanted to ask you a clarifying question on what you shared. You said anger isn't as close to the surface as, you know, maybe other type eights. You mentioned frustration that you, when you cry, sometimes it's out of frustration. Would it be fair to say that frustration is a little bit more in the forefront than anger? Pre-COVID, I would come home from work and I would rant and rave about what had happened in my day, right, to my husband. He, I think, probably was like, oh, my God, you must be a very angry person at work. But now we get the, the joy of listening to each other in meetings and it's not always coming across. So I might be fuming in my head about a situation, but I'm apparently delightful in the meeting, but the frustration is there. And so when I say I don't necessarily resonate with 
being an angry person, I don't think for most, if you were to ask most people in my circle, is Dash an angry person? I doubt they would actually Mm. say that I'm an angry person. They'd say I'm an intense person sometimes. Number one kind of expression of emotion I generally have is joy and is joy an emotion? I don't know. It was in yeah. um, Inside Out. Totally. Joy yeah. is there. <laughs> That's my emotional radar. <laughs> Can't beat yeah. that. That's a great yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that when Anton was sharing about, you know, he can feel one way and, and kind of just but detach from it, it it's something that type 8s do of compartmentalization. And it can be a really positive thing. We could encounter the same hurtful or painful scenario. And here I am taking it extremely personally, super offended, and it's really affected me, and it takes me days to recover. And then my type 8 friends, they can rock up the next day and connect the exact same way with that person. They can completely compartmentalize the actions from the person. So even if somebody does something that could potentially hurt their feelings or that they disagreed with, they're just like, yeah, that's cool. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't affect our friendship or affect how I think of you. And so I find that a really beautiful quality in type eights. This is part of the why eights are so appreciated in a time of crisis. You guys can step into something and just kind of place whatever that is in front of you over here, deal with it and just be seemingly, at least on the outside, calm and composed. Maybe on the inside things are exploding, but it's it's that compartmentalizing which is so helpful and that's why in times of crisis we're like calling out because you just step in you know what to do you're calm and and so that's a really beautiful thing the automatic pattern for the type eight is to go to solving the the problem just move to action and that leads to this question of how does inactivity feel for you when you can't act on something when you're forced to kind of not move or move slowly mm. and i know for for those who have been in in lockdown like dash um would know that there's a, a level of inactivity that you would have that's not present in everyday life how does that feel for you frustrating it's <laughs> it's frustrating <laughs> yes lack of progress and movement is irritating yeah when you when you really want to see something move forward it is it's really frustrating I feel trapped. I really feel trapped by inactivity. I wake up every morning with a to-do list in my head. First question on a weekend that I ask my husband is, so what's the plan today? And I already have the plan in my head. I'm asking it so we we seem collaborative, but the plan is mapped out. If that's taken away or I have an inability to, to have that momentum, it's it's really it's not a pretty thing to be observing you just explain briefly what that not pretty thing is <laughs> what do you do so I, I think i said before i have a lot of health problems and i have been an inpatient in hospital mm. and literally cannot walk because i'm really unwell with drips in my arm and i'm sitting there with my laptop on my knees <laughs> like writing grant applications and having like doctors walking in saying you're occluding the line. Can you stop doing that? And I'm just like, what? You want me to just sit here? Like, that's actually not within the realms of possibility in my mind. So, yeah, it's not pretty. That's not pretty. There was a time where I used to catch a bus to work and I missed the bus once and I was like, I'm not waiting for the next bus. I'm going to see if I can beat that bus to the next bus stop. And so I, like, tried to beat that bus that I just missed and get to the next bus stop. Did you beat it? No, I didn't. Didn't like waiting. Pretty impatient. 
Good on you, mate. Yeah, I just look at my athleticism and I'm not taking that challenge on because there's no way I'm catching that bus. <laughs> if you if this frustration with being inactive is so there, and I relate to that being a type three, really struggle with that. How do you rest when you actively try not to be active? What does that look like for you guys? Does that happen in your life? Might be another question. It's interesting because when it comes to like intentional time of like rest like r&r or holiday for me i don't like to do nothing but i'd like to not have an agenda so i don't like to be time bound i don't like to have things locked down like so usually if we go on holidays we we put in like a few big rocks that we want to get done like and i I just don't like things being jam-packed i like to just be be able to be spontaneous and go hey let's just go check this out or let's have a look around here do that you know so even on the weekends that's kind of you know, might choose something to do, but I, I like to just be spontaneous and not be like committed to having to be somewhere and do something. That's 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 how I, I rest and recover. Yeah, I really resonate with that and having to reframe rest. So um, rest is on my to-do list, particularly on the weekends. And it's, it's the only way that I then can let it go, to be honest. And so, you know, I will wake up, on a weekend and I was saying to a friend recently, apart from saying to my husband, what's on our, what's our plan today? But I I was saying to a friend recently, I was like, oh my gosh, my weekends are so full during lockdown. I actually don't know how we're going to emerge out of lockdown and put people in it because I'll I'll wake up and I'll go, okay, I'm going to do yoga and then we're going to have breakfast and then we're going to take the dog for a walk and then I have to have my two hour nap and then I've got to read the book and, you know, like, and then I'm like, oh, it's now dinner time. And what? Like, but it was all very restful activities. Yeah. The other thing, which I know is probably controversial, and it was coming to your word of recovery, mm-hmm. is that sometimes for me, recovery is doing some elements that other people would not find restful. So as part of my job, I write mm-hmm. a lot. And I actually find that a real process of recovery is to be able to write mm-hmm. and to have the space to do mm-hmm. that. And once that's out of my brain, it's almost, I don't, know if people have watched Harry Potter like taking some of the stuff out of um, (laughs) his head and putting it into another Mm. space means I'm able to actually go oh yeah like I can rest now so now I'm glad you brought that up Dash because when we just talk about transformational habits in coaching and with transformational habits they can look a variety of different ways so what you find transforming in writing and Seth may feel again songwriting or something you know maybe really Mm -hmm. transformative for him other people might go I can't think of anything worse to do in my rest time okay (laughs) than writing a song (laughs) but then other people might find lying on the lounge binge watching Netflix not restful so there there are just different ways of resting so So I'm, I'm just glad you brought up that point For those of you who are out there listening, maybe you are a type eight or close friends with the type eights. I hope this has been helpful. It's been really helpful for me as someone who's got a number of friends who resonate with the type eights. You guys have just given some really helpful insights into that. So thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, type eights, we love you guys. We need you guys. What you bring to the table is so valuable. And we've highlighted just a handful of them 
to uh, in this episode there's so much more yeah. uh, depth that you guys bring yeah well thank you so much guys for coming on the nine design today and we've just so valued having your insights and your experiences and your honesty hopefully we don't give you an, all a vulnerability hangover oh good nah it's been fun yeah thank you for having us <laughs> i feel like we spent more time laughing than anything else, so. 100%. that's always a good thing <laughs> coming out so. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Lots of laughter, lots of fun. Now, in the coming up episodes, we're meeting with a panel of nines and a panel of ones, and we've got a whole episode around relationships with people in the body center. And then we also have a and r where Brian is going to be joining us again. So there's a lot lined up. In the meantime, jump onto our website. We've got brand new merchandise that are out, new t-shirts look really cool. And while you're there, why not book yourself in a free 30-minute call with Serena to get some coaching because it's super important to do this inner work with other people and a coach is ideal for that. Thank you so much for sharing this podcast with your friends, for talking about it, for commenting. It just You're helping spread the word and we really appreciate it. We wouldn't be here without you. So please keep that going. And until next time, remember that you were designed to reflect the original.